0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. You might live in a house or condo that has a narrow strip of soil right next to the house. What precautions do you need to take before you plant in that narrow two-foot-wide strip? We answer a listener's question on that very topic with the help of America's favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. Also, how about growing some nutritious vegetables this winter, indoors, in a sunny window? It's microgreens, a variety of any edible leafy crop that you can harvest when they're just a couple of inches tall, perfect for garnishing soup, salads, or a sandwich. Master Gardener Gail Pothauer will tell us how to do it. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. A lot of ways you can get your question into us you can leave a message at SpeakPipe. No phone charges are incurred. You're yelling at your computer. Something you may do already. Go to speakpipe.com slash... Garden Basics, and uh, leave a question for us there. You can also call and leave a question on the phone, 916-292-8964. Text messages and pictures as well, 916-292-8964. There's a contact box. You can leave a message at GardenBasics.net. Email, sure, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. There is, of course, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where people leave questions, also uh, on Instagram and Twitter, as well debbie flower is here to help us answer the questions and we get debbie a question from tim who has a question that is very common with anybody who lives in a modern suburban house they have that little foot and a half two foot wide strip of dirt right next to their house that leads to probably a walkway around the house and what the heck of is that quality of soil like Tim asks, I am curious if you have any advice on preparing garden beds for spring planting next year, which is adjacent to the house. Here is a photo which shows the planting bed in question. I plan on removing the old rose there since it's much too big for the space. Yeah, that's something to think about. And uh, constantly got leaf spot and disease. The house is in Rancho Cordova, which is a suburb of Sacramento, and it's in the backyard facing east. And as far as exposures go, Debbie East is a nice exposure. I like it that. It is in our climate. Yeah, because you get that shade in the hot afternoon. Tim goes on to say, and in previous years, bagged compost has been added to the raw clay over the years and is now compacted with the clay. I know I will need to grade it before planting and probably add new soil to the top as well. However, since the soil level is about even with the walkway right now, I was wondering if I should add more soil to the top, and if so, how high should a bed like that be next to the house and walkway or should it be close to level with the walkway having just a slight grade away from the house tim you are about to mix internal and external issues with this situation one of the primary concerns as far as the level of the soil goes is dry rot on the house Mm -hmm. you don't want to be piling soil up next to the house Mm -hmm. one option debbie i guess would be to have some sort of retaining wall at the back edge of that bed, wood or something else. At if you wanted to build up.
1: Being against the house, the, you mean?
0: yeah, the back edge of
1: next I to the house. I wouldn't make it wood because wood will rot over time. Mm-hmm. My son bought a house in the Bay Area and they had a a planter, a brick planter up against the wall, the exterior wall of the house. I don't know if they had put anything between it. I don't know if they'd put landscape fabric or it was quite old.
0: It was and it, dirt against the house.
1: Yes. And it oh. rotted the wall. We had yeah. to take off the exterior, That's open the wall nice up completely thing. to the outside. And then you start rotting the two by fours. No, I would not raise the level of that soil. I would keep
0: mm. it at, at the the foundation only. Would you dig it out and replace it with other soil?
1: No, clay can become clay is actually can be great soil for growing things. It holds a lot of nutrients and it holds water, so sometimes too much water. The fact that they've been adding compost regularly is a good thing. Uh, so if it's if you can dig in it and water when the plants need the water not on a schedule. So maybe get a water moisture meter to check. Then I don't think you need new soil. The one thing I am concerned about is uh leaching, potential leaching from the concrete, either mm-hmm. the sidewalk or the, or the house. Foundation yeah, yeah. of the house. Lime. Right. right. Concrete lasts I believe someone told me thirty years. It takes thirty years to cure, and then it starts to break down. I don't know if that's true. It, it, that's hearsay for me. <laughs> it sounds <but> like
0: us. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, that's very true for humans. It seems. Um, I had the, the problem of the foundation leaching the calcium from the concrete into the soil in a house I lived in that was about sixty years old, uh, and I had to choose the plants I was going to plant in that area carefully so they could withstand the higher pH, the more alkaline soil that this resulted in. And I also incorporated some sulfur into the soil based on the appearance of Tim's rose. I don't think he has that problem. So I would say if you can dig in there, then I think you just leave it at the level Uh, plant the plants, plant them proud, we call it, when they sink over time because their container media breaks down, they don't
0: get to be the low spot in the garden. So you want the soil ball of that container in its final resting place to be about an inch above the existing grade. Right. Mm Right.
1: Make sure the plants are, when mature, going to fit comfortably in that space, not overfill it. I would stay with pretty low things or I'd use it as an annual garden where I took things out periodically uh, because houses need maintenance. They need to be painted and People want prepared. to step in there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To get to your roof, to your gutters, your the side of the house to paint it, whatever. So either use very low things or, or use things that you're going to change out every year. Then I would just mulch it. to to continue the improvement of the clay soil.
0: And probably the final grade, like Tim would suggest, would be flowing... The water would flow away from the house. Yes,
1: he did mention that, and that's an excellent idea.
0: The other thing, too, to consider, too, when planting next to the house is where do the rain gutters dump the water from the roof? If it's dumping it right next to the house, you may want to get extensions put on those pipes and send that water further out.
1: Right, and if there's an eave, so an overhang from the roof above that spot then you want to make sure that you've got irrigation to the plants that will be behind that overhang. Yeah,
0: you can do that with the drip irrigation system. Yes, you can. I Probably, too, and this is a suggestion you've made on, on numerous occasions, that one of the first mysteries you need to solve when it comes to any soil is what's the pH of the soil? Right. And especially next to the house where the pH can be wacky because of calcium or lime.
1: Right. The rose looks good. It isn't showing signs of too too much alkaline soil, but a soil test is always a good thing.
0: All right. So get that soil test done and and don't uh, pile up the soil around the house. Not up to the siding. No. Right. All right, Tim. Enjoy your east-facing garden. Thank you, Debbie. Mm, You're welcome, Fred. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied smart pot owners who have been using the same smart pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose smart pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate smart pots, too. Because of the one million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of Smart Pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the Smart Pot. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com/fred And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your SmartPot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the SmartPot store. Visit SmartPots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount smart pots the original award-winning fabric planter go to smartpotscom slash fred you want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams but maybe you don't know where to begin or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow where can i go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. For the beginning gardener, microgreens are an easy way to start a hobby of growing vegetables indoors and with the cooler weather. Yeah, let's let's do a little indoor gardening. What are microgreens, you ask? Well, that's why we're talking with master gardener Gail Pothauer. She is very knowledgeable about microgreens. And uh, Gail, what a great way to get the whole family involved in uh, doing some indoor gardening, because when you grow microgreens, they grow fast.
2: Oh, yeah. they Depending on what it is you're growing, and we can talk about the varieties in a few minutes, but they can be harvested a week after you plant them, a couple weeks after you plant them. So it's a great activity to have with kids because it's quick they're different they look different than plants growing out in the garden and it's just kind of fun they and it's a quick reward you know you grow it in a week or two you've harvested them and then they're cute little things that you're eating
0: and and this isn't a main course i I like how the university of florida described it in their uh, information on microgreens they describe it as vegetable confetti
2: Right, and it's a, I like to describe it as houseplants that you can eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, and basically it's it's a, it's a garnish, but you can put it in what soup, stew, salad, sandwiches. Yeah, so you, you fill can a taco with it.
2: Pizza. Yeah, yeah, a taco would be great. Or if you did like a spring roll or something, you know, instead of using sprouts, you could use uh, microgreens. Um, great on appetizers. I just they're fun to use. They are tasty, and um, yeah, I like to use them in a salad. That's mostly how I use them.
0: There are a lot of great charts and information about growing microgreens. We'll have a very thorough list in the notes for today's episode of Garden Basics. One of the best is from Johnny's Seeds, and they have a very nice chart of microgreen varieties and uh, how long they take to grow and uh, their flavor and uh, their color, because you might as well make it pretty. Mix up the colors.
2: Oh, absolutely. And the colors are very intense. So if you're growing something like a red cabbage or beet or something like that, that have really colorful stems and leaves, the color seems to be a little more intense uh, when they're at that tiny little first leaf state. So it, it adds a lot of color to wherever, whatever you're eating. They're very tasty as well.
0: I think we should point out right off the bat here that when we're saying microgreens, we're not just talking about leafy greens. We're talking about a wide range of herbs, flowers, vegetables that you can grow on a sunny windowsill.
2: Right. And not to be confused with sprouts, which are grown in water. Uh, Microgreens are actually grown in a potting media, like a potting soil or a germination mix. And after about a week or two, after the cotyledon comes up, which is the first little seed leaf, uh, and then you get the first true leaf, that's when you would harvest them. You just give them a haircut right above the soil line. And so, yeah, they're different than sprouts. They're also different than baby green. Baby greens were something you would grow to a little larger stage like lettuce or spinach. You would grow it until it looks more like the mature plant, only still small, and then you harvest that. So microgreens are kind of in between the sprouts and the baby greens in size.
0: And what surprised me, a lot of these references uh, mention that lettuce isn't a particularly good uh, subject for microgreens, is it?
2: No, because they're really tender and wilt easily. So they actually work better as baby greens where you can harvest a few of the, the leaves that look more like the mature leaf, only they're still tender. So they're delicious and tender, but they're almost too tender to use as microgreens
0: they're delicious they're tender and let's talk about the nutrition in in microgreens it's amazing
2: oh absolutely there was um, a study done several years ago by the university of maryland and the u.s department of agriculture that showed that microgreens can contain four to 40 times more nutrients than their mature counterpart and i know that there's still ongoing research to determine, you know, if that's accurate or um, the different values in the different um, crops. But they are very nutritious and they're tasty and they're easy to grow. And I'd say, if I'm a try, they're absolutely fun to grow.
0: In the Journal of Food and Agriculture, they measured the nutrient value of 25 microgreens. And their study showed that the ones that had the highest concentration of a lot of Good nutrition included red cabbage, cilantro, garnet amaranth, and green daikon radish. They had the most vitamin C. But I guess, Gail, before we uh, go much further, let's talk about the setup for growing microgreens. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different herbs and vegetables and flowers that you can grow on a sunny windowsill. So as long as you've got kind of a sunny spot, maybe a south or a west-facing window, you can set up your own little kitchen farm.
2: Right, and because the microgreens grow so quickly, to say 7 to 14 days typically before you harvest them, they don't really need a lot of light, so they can actually be grown under conditions that are less than ideal, you know, not a lot of sun, um, just because they grow so quickly. And the ideal soil temperature is about 60 to 75 degrees, so I, when I grow mine, I put them on a heating mat. You don't have to, but it helps germination. And the ideal air temperature is about 60 to 70 degrees, which is room temperature. So you don't really need to have uh, real bright light. You don't need to have grow lights, although that can help. As I say, because they grow so quickly, they don't really need as much light as a plant that you're gonna be growing for a couple of months. So they're ideal for growing indoors during the winter, especially if you live in a real cold climate, where, you know, during the winter, you have this long stretch of time where you can't really grow anything outside. Um, so you can certainly grow things in the house. So a windowsill is great, um, gives it just enough light for the plants to photosynthesize a little bit before you harvest them
0: i would strongly recommend people get a seed propagation kit it it solves a whole host of problems it'll keep those young seedlings warm and it allows a place for water to drain off that you can easily empty there's a lot of seed propagation kits available online the cost ranges from 25 to 75 dollars the good ones usually have a high dome a tray that has a slightly raised bottom that allows the water to go even lower and many of them come with seed trays and that makes the job a heck of a lot easier as well and they have a propagation heating mat as well that you were talking about and Mm -hmm. by having one of those kits uh, it makes it easy in fact uh, you're going to get hooked on growing things in basically what is an indoor greenhouse
2: Right. And I do have those same kits. I've assembled one over the years. So I have the heating mats. I have the humidity domes. I have the long trays. But what's nice about growing microgreens is you can recycle containers. So I save deli containers because they have a little lid that pops off. I wash them really well. You want to have everything sanitized. I poke drain holes in the bottom of the deli container, put my potting mix in there, plant my seeds. And then I use the lid uh, as a humidity dome, so I keep that on top. So you don't have to go to the expense of getting this uh, elaborate seed starting uh, setup. I highly recommend you do that, however, because you can do so many other things. You can start your tomatoes and peppers and things like that uh, indoors, but you don't have to. And if you just put it in a warm spot for germination, um, that works just fine. Then as soon as the... Seeds germinate. Take that lid off so that you don't have uh, keep trapping too much humidity. And yes, you do want to be sure to have some sort of a tray on the bottom to catch the water because you do need to have drainage holes in your container.
0: Exactly, you need to um, not allow that soil that is growing those uh, microgreens to get too soggy. It, it needs drainage, and that's why the uh, propagation. Uh, hits with that bottom with the uh, ribbed bottom to allow the water to drain even lower is is ideal for uh, easily emptying we talked about the, the fact that there are fast growing and slow slower growing varieties of microgreens you can grow and Let's talk about fast growing. And when we're talking fast growing, 10 to 15 days until they're harvested. And that's the other thing we didn't mention is how to harvest a microgreen. So you're planting seeds, you wait 10 or 15 days, and then what? You clip them with the scissors?
2: Yeah, they kind of like give them a haircut. So a, a clean pair of sharp scissors kind of hold on to the, the upper portion of the microgreens, kind of a handful, and then you just clip them just above the soil line. So You don't want to get a lot of uh, potting mixed in with your microgreens if you can help it. But you can always <clears throat> kind of rinse those off afterwards. But, yeah, it's really easy. Just give them a haircut. And I would suggest that whatever you grow, be sure that it's something that's edible. And so the best choices are cool season crops like leafy greens, herbs, or edible flowers, as you mentioned, Fred. So I would forget about growing something like tomato microgreens oh, because yeah. they're not edible you know they contain solanine, which is toxic. I would say just be sure that anything that you grow for microgreens need to be edible. They need to um, you know be an edible flower or an herb that that would be edible as its mature counterpart. Anything in the brassica or cabbage family would be perfect. So arugula, broccoli, cabbage, kale, kohlrabi, even radishes. And speaking of radish, I just ran across a variety that is not hairy. Uh, radishes have a hairy leaf and I'm kind of a textural person. It gives me I don't know, kind of disturbs me a bit to have this hairiness on my tongue when I eat radish leaves. But there's a new variety out that is hairless. It's uh, carried by Kirazawa oh, seed. I think they're in the Bay Area. And it's called, I don't know how to even say it. S-A-I-S-A-I Sai Sai? So if you want to grow radishes and you're bothered by the hairiness of the leaves of radishes, that's a variety you can grow. But anyway, you can also grow things like chard, beet, peas, nasturtiums, any annual herb like basil or cilantro or parsley would work well as well.
0: We'll have a link to Kitazawa Seed. They're based in Berkeley or Oakland. We'll have a link to Kitazawa Seed in the show notes. They have a lot of of great Asian vegetables uh, that would be ideal for this situation we're talking about. Oh,
2: yeah. All the bok choys Mm
0: -hmm. and capsoys and all those Asian greens are perfect for uh, growing as Mm microgreens. And uh, to uh, go back to Johnny Seed's list of microgreen varieties that are fast growing, they include borage, celosia, Salad, burnet, sorrel, uh, arugula, broccoli, cabbage, the Chinese cabbages, collard, cress, if you want to grow that, kale. I'm going in alphabetical order. You could probably tell. Uh, kohl- <laughs> kohlrabi, maizuna, uh, mustards, the pock choys, like we mentioned. Uh, they, they may mention several radish varieties. And uh, something that I'm not familiar with called tatsoi. Yeah,
2: those would all be perfect. Those are all cool season crops. And um, they're ideal for growing this microgreens. I do want to mention that when you are growing the microgreens, I think I mentioned earlier, if you're recycling a container be sure it's clean. You don't want any contamination and you don't need to have a deep container either. Something that just has an inch or two of soil because the roots are not going to be growing long enough to need a deeper container in order to to develop the roots because you're going to harvest them in a week or two. And then after you plant your seeds, put them on the soil surface, kind of tamp them in a little bit, maybe sprinkle on a little more potting mixture, and give them a spritz to put on your plastic wrap or whatever you're using for a dome to hold in the humidity. As soon as the seeds germinate, take that lid off, take it off the heat, and put it under lights, whatever lights, on uh, your windowsill or grow lights that you're using. And then when you continue to water... Start watering from the bottom. So whatever tray you have your container in, fill that with water. Set the container down. Let it soak up from the bottom. Then remove it. Let it drain. Pour the water out of the bottom tray. Because if you start watering from the top, once those plants get to grow, they're really fragile, and you can knock them over and you know kind of smash them a little bit. So it's easier to water them from the bottom once they have germinated
0: unless you have a really fine mister of a watering system indoors to do that
2: right and i have done that but i have noticed that as the plants get a little bit taller you know i like them an inch or two tall before i harvest them when even with my fine mister it does tend to weight them down and Mm. knock them over
0: among the uh, slower growing microgreens that you can grow indoors and these take about 16 to 25 days uh to get up to an inch or two tall basil who who thought of that basil cilantro uh, dill fennel marigolds even and among the slow growing vegetables and again slow is only 16 to 25 days that's not bad amaranth bull's blood beet uh the yellow beets uh carrots uh chard that you mentioned earlier even dandelions uh purslane scallions there's a lot out there that you can be growing indoors as micro so it might be uh, ideal to have two trays, if not more than two trays, one with uh, the fast-growing varieties and one with the slower-growing varieties.
2: Right. Because I, when I first started out, I combined uh, several different uh, varieties in one small little tray. And then when I was ready to harvest the quick-growing ones, it was kind of hard to do without damaging the ones that were still growing. So I would recommend growing them in separate trays or if you can identify the ones that germinate at the same rate, you could mix them that way. But if you want to have a mix of microgreens, it might be better just to grow some small containers of individual and then mix them after you harvest them. That's kind of the easier way to go.
0: I guess one idea might be to save your old uh, egg cartons, uh, punch a small hole in the bottom of uh, each of the uh, cells and uh, grow it inside egg cartons.
2: Well, that's a thought. I had never occurred to me to do that, but you certainly could. Uh, Ordinarily, something that small and shallow is not recommended for growing plants because um, it takes longer for the plant to grow to seedling size if you're growing for seedling. And there's not enough root space. But for microgreens, because they don't grow that long, only a week or two, that shallow egg carton, should be ideal.
0: Also, you don't have to be very exact, do you? When you plant the seeds for microgreens, you can actually sow them rather thickly and definitely don't use the spacing indicated on seed packets. If you look at that Johnny selected seeds suggestions for planting microgreens, they say that sowing six to eight large seeds per square inch is about right and if they're small seeds, about 10 to 12 per square inch. And, you know, you just, just kind of eyeball it when you uh, put those seeds in. And I would imagine, too, that since microgreens are harvested well before they reach maturity, they don't need to be thinned. And since they're growing for such a short time, they probably don't need to be fertilized either, do they? Right. Growing microgreens is easy, but I I think one very important tip is use, as you alluded to earlier, use a seed starting mix for your soilless mix. You don't want to use soil from the garden. And why wouldn't you want to use soil from the garden?
2: For a number of reasons. Um, Soil out of your garden will undoubtedly contain uh, microorganisms that could cause disease. So fungal spores, things like that. You don't want to have those microorganisms in your starting mix because it can affect the germination of you know the seeds. It could cause damping off or some other diseases. Plus, garden soil is pretty dense. It's um, not fluffy and doesn't let a lot of oxygen in. It's fine for growing out in the garden, but in containers, any type of container garden soil is not recommended because it is too dense and water can't percolate through it very well. And it just doesn't allow enough oxygen exchange in, for the plant's roots. So get a good germination mix or a seed starting mix or even potting soil, which are generally peat based or core, which is, from um, coconut husks and perlite and vermiculite, and things like that, that allow for drainage. They can hold water, but it does allow a lot of oxygen and air to get in there. So something that is light and fluffy, and it's usually a commercial mix that you buy. So that's what I recommend highly.
0: Exactly. And you don't want to buy a bag labeled garden soil mix either. Right,
2: right. And actually anything that has compost in it, um, unless it's commercially composted, I would steer away from that. I would hesitate to add the compost that I make in my compost pile because there still could be some disease spores in there and things like that. So I would stick with something that has peat or sphagnum moss or core with perlite vermiculite. Right,
0: yeah, peat, perlite, vermiculite is the usual combination in those uh, seed-starting mixes. One tip, though, peat moss, and even for that matter, core. Are very difficult to keep moist and one easy trick is to when you buy a bag of uh, the seed starting mix cut off the top set the bag outside upright fill it with water and let it sit for a few hours in all that water and that will then pre-moisten it and then you don't have to worry about the chance of it drying out as you're growing your uh, microgreens.
2: Right. So when whatever you're using, whatever potting mix you're using, be sure it is pre-moistened. So uh, in the container that I have my potting soil, I make sure that it's moist. I then put that in my container, my deli container or whatever I'm using, uh, tamp it lightly and then put in the seeds and water it again. If you're putting the seeds directly in a dry potting media, it might be very difficult to get the whole area moistened if you're watering from the top. So be sure it's pre-moistened before you plant the seed.
0: So after these microgreens are about an inch or two tall and you cut them off at the soil line with scissors, what do you do with them then, Gail?
2: Well, they are pretty fragile. So it's recommended that you harvest them just before you need them. So you've prepared your meal and you want to sprinkle them on a salad, go cut them and sprinkle them on your salad. However, um, they are able to be stored in the refrigerator. So once they're cut, put them in a plastic bag with a paper towel and they could store for several days. But what I learned um, the last time I did some microgreens, I had a small deli container with mustard, I think it was, and I didn't use it all. I stuck the whole container in the refrigerator and it lasted for several weeks. So then I was able to bring the container out, harvest what I wanted and put it back in. I didn't even put a plastic bag or anything over it, it was just the container itself in the refrigerator. So if you are using a small enough container where you can do that, it works great. I wouldn't recommend putting a big flat in your refrigerator. But anyway, was able to keep the microgreens fresh. They didn't continue to grow because the cold kind of stopped their growth, but it kept them fresh for at least two weeks.
0: Two weeks. Wow.
2: Yeah, I was amazed.
0: So that if you find out that your family has a favorite one or two microgreen varieties that they really like, that would be a good idea is to grow them in smaller containers that uh, when you're ready to harvest them, you can just stick it in the refrigerator.
2: Right. I wouldn't recommend it for something like basil. Basil is pretty tender, and when you store basil, the herb, you know, if you buy a bunch of basil or harvest a big bunch of basil, if you put it in the refrigerator, the the leaves tend to turn black. So it isn't a great thing to do with basil because it doesn't respond to cold temperatures very well. But most others of the brassicas or anything in the cabbage family, the cool season crops, would be just fine in the refrigerator.
0: And ladies and gentlemen, that's how you get dirt under your fingernails in the (laughs) wintertime.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Yes,
0: then that's what we're going for here. And again, in today's show notes, you're going to find a complete list of resources where you can find out more information about microgreens as well as the seed propagation kits and a lot more. We've been talking with Sacramento County Master Gardener Gail Pothauer. Gail, thanks for turning us on to microgreens, something to do, something the whole family can do indoors during the winter. Thank you, Fred. In warmer sections of the country, now through December, is garlic planting time. And if you live elsewhere and have a few weeks before the ground freezes over, you can be planting garlic cloves as well. But which garlic varieties do you choose? How do you plant and care for garlic plants? How do you harvest them? And what are you going to do with all that garlic? In this week's Beyond the Garden Basics podcast and newsletter, we tackle those questions, including a slow cooker recipe, perfect for holiday get-togethers, that uses two-thirds of a cup of minced garlic. For current newsletter subscribers, look for the All About Garlic podcast and newsletter in the Friday, November 25th edition of the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's in your email. And you can even start a subscription. It's free. Find the link in today's show notes or sign up at the newsletter link at our homepage, GardenBasics.net. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast comes out once a week on Fridays. Plus the newsletter podcast that comes with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter continues and that will also be released on Fridays. Both are free and they're brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. The Garden Basics podcast is available wherever podcasts are handed out and that includes our homepage, GardenBasics.net. And that's where you can also sign up for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. That's Garden. Bas- Basics. basics.net, or you can use the links in today's show notes. And thank you so much for listening.